Hello and welcome to the first in a brand new series of Tarragindas. Well, they've let us loose again. Can you believe it? No, not really, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> hearing the last episode. <laughs> if you are new to this series, it's essentially where we go out and about around the Isle of Man and just say, I wonder about a lot of things and uh, hopefully find out some answers. There's lots of things to wonder about and they're all going to be in this programme. Stay tuned. So what are we starting off with in this series, Beth? I know you've had some ideas since we were last on air. Well, I have. I've had several ideas. Some of them I'll hold over, okay? So let's not give them all (laughs) away at once. But one of the things um, that we're starting off with in this series is an exploration of a building that I have been past many, many times um, that I use the products of on a daily basis almost. Um, Is it a chemist? No. (laughs) Thank you. But I've never actually been inside. And we are talking about the wonderful Laxi Flour Mill. I should say it's um, easy to see, not so easy to find, as we discovered. <laughs> yes, it was a bit of a... If you haven't been down there, you'll have seen the building. Getting down there can be a bit of a challenge. We found there in the end, though, and, uh, well, here's a little bit of what we found. Can you hear me? Not very well. It's very exciting, though. Look at this. The production line. It is. They said it would be very difficult to talk while the machine was on, and they're not wrong, so we'll watch a few more bikes going past and then we'll try and find out a little bit more about what's happening. But it is great, it's like a, a mixture between Heath Robinson meets 21st century sci fi. What do you make of that then, Ben? I was quite hypnotised by watching that. So we're watching the packing machine and the uh, you can hear flour. It in the background, I think they're going to shut it down in a minute. Just amazing, though, wasn't it? And what a just seeing something like that in action, you get a sense of what goes into making the things that we see on the supermarket shelves. Well, we were saying when we came here because we, we were saying we got a little bit lost coming in. <laughs> because I've driven past it, you've driven past it over the bridge. You look down, you see it all there. It's been there all my life. And yet I've never actually, this is the first time I've ever actually been in. I know. And it is, like I say, one of those things that we're so familiar with in many ways. But actually, how does it work? Well, that is the million dollar question. And we're actually standing down here surrounded by flour. There's flour everywhere we look. There's the uh, self-raising, of course. There's the Laxley Queen of Flowers, the lovely new packaging. And it's a mixture of the old and the new down here, I guess. It is, yes. Very much so, yes. Now, the new machine, when's that machine gone in the one we've been watching? Because I was saying it's sort of, Part of it you think Heath Robinson, part of it you think 21st century sort of new technology coming That's in. been in there for about four months now, that one, the new machine, yeah. Brilliant. What sort of difference has that made? Oh, a hell of a lot of difference. We can, our old machine was using the whole workforce to get a pallet of flour, basically one, one pallet a day. That'll do a pallet of flour in 25 minutes. That's a massive difference. Yeah, definitely. And so that's only a recent, so what, four months you said? That's sort of, yes, so very yes. recent innovation yes. actually going in. Mm-hmm, yes. And the actual process going, but is the process of actually making the flowers that remain the same? The process is exactly the same, making the flower. It's just we can, it's more economical now with the new machine in bagging it because the old machine was a bit everywhere. We had a time remotion view done on it and we were losing 15-20% waste of every run of flower. Whereas, yeah, as you've seen, the waste on that machine is totally nothing. So, Jason, what's your role here? I'm the mill manager. And we're looking at um, some photographs around here which say that Laxi flour, 
They say the Laxey Glen Mills have been going since 1860. What is the history to the mills? We've had a number of um, fires over the, over the history. It was, the, the mill was shut down for the best part of four years because it was decommissioned because of all the fires. And then RG Coal, it's brought it back into light and ever since then it's been going strong. And what about, because I was thinking, I mean, I've read before, I know the sort of in flower plants like this where you get a lot of fine particulates in the air, there's always, I always understand there's a sort of an explosive risk. So do you have to have sort of ventilation systems yeah, too? Yes, so we've got big vents on the top of the mill, as you probably see as you go out, so there's big vents. When we have three different dust collection systems throughout the mill, which are working vigorously to reduce that risk. Keep that down all the time. Yeah. And the actual massive hopper silo, call it what you will, that people go past. Is that grain going in there? Yes, there's four different, there's four silos, and then we run tests on the grain, which in turn then determine which silo the grain is going to go into. And what, so what's in each silo then? Is it a different type of grain? Diff not not different type, different, different protein type. levels. So we've got one silo which is predominantly low protein, which is a low protein wheat, and then the other three silos is high protein. Okay, and this is all obviously grain coming from Alaman farmers? All, yeah, all from the Alaman, all lo lo locally sourced from the north of the island. So how long does it take from that grain arriving to the actual final product? Um, well, on the, in the mill, we're a bit different to mills in the UK. We will collect our whole year's supply of wheat over a couple of months, and then we, st we store it then. Whereas in the UK, they might be buying grain and then using it in a couple of weeks. We store ours and then use it throughout the year. And how many different types of flour are actually produced down here? Because we're looking around here, there's the self-raising, I think we were watching coming off the machine before, but, and there's plain flour, obviously. How many different types are actually produced? Yeah, we currently make 10 different varieties of flour. 10? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. far more. So that's something. So that's self-raising plain. You've got the, what else is there? I'm trying to think. Self-raising plain. We've got two strong bread flowers, which is Manx King and Manx Queen. We make a soda flour, which is used for the bonnet loaf. Manx oh, yeah, the proper soda loaf. Yeah, I've done yeah. that. Yeah. We do yeah. A, yeah. a granary loaf as well. Granary seed mix as well. And then we do various other bread mixes, Pioneer, which is basically a white flour with extra wheat, extra wheat germ added. And is there more sort of interest in some of these more specialist flours now? Um, there is, but we can't get away from the fact that our three biggest sales are the plain, the, the yeah, self-raisin, and the strong bread flour, yeah. Yeah, sounds the reason, I suppose. Yeah. Are you a bit of a baker yourself? I was actually <laughs> a baker before, we, before I moved here. There's actually two other members of the staff. We actually worked together as bakers, and then we... One afternoon, we all moved to the mill. <laughs> that watery sound wasn't actually down at the flower mill. It was Beth having a drink. I'm just pouring <laughs> myself a little cup of tea. Uh, those, those little clicks and pops. I think there's a lot of equipment and stuff down there. I think that's just coming through. I know when I was listening to the recording, it wasn't me sort of like constantly knocking my microphone. That was just in the background there. A fascinating place, though, oh. and a place I've driven past a million times, never once been in before. No, it, it was lovely. And a little bit later, um, Jason actually gave us a tour, which is wonderful, and we'll hear a little bit of that. But that was Jason Duke, who is the mill man manager down there but um, I, I'm surprised at how small the team is and how much they do um, and it just shows I think as we as we will find later that the industrialization of this process must have helped enormously because you can imagine down there um, you know years ago hundreds of people being there and part of this process but what a wonderful place yeah and I won't mention the fact that I you were there before me and I found you in a panic saying how do you get down to it <laughs> So sort of looking, you down looking longingly over the bridge, <laughs> thinking, do I have to abseil? <laughs> now then, one thing we have been having fun with over the last two or three series of Tamagindas are these sort of little 
challenges, little video challenges, which we like to post online. I say challenge, I don't know whether it's the right word. It's just something quirky, usually weird scientific experiments that I did as a child, I think, uh, based with air pressure or refraction or something else or anything we can sort of do that looks sort of vaguely interesting and, uh, yeah, perhaps just sparks the imagination. Well, yeah, so it is essentially, I think, Howard, uh, just the contents of your head, isn't it? <laughs> so here we are. A start of another Tamagindus run of challenges. We're back in the Manx Radio yeah. kitchen. I think you've got to do the next one though, haven't you? Because it looks like me being Mr. Saddy doing all this. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is another little uh, little thing you can do at home, anywhere, I suppose, in the Manx Radio kitchen. And here's the challenge then, Beth. So if we can see this piece of paper over here with the arrows on. Okay, and beautifully drawn. Beautifully drawn. It took me about half an hour that. So you've got the top arrow going to the right, the bottom arrow going to the left. How can you change the direction of those arrows without touching the piece of paper? Hold that a second. Okay, I've got it. Like that. That's it. Did I say right back to front? There we go. There we go. Right, so the top one's going to the right, <laughs> the bottom one's going to the left. You've just touched the piece of paper. Oh, did you say without, without touching, touching it? the piece oh, right. of paper? Okay. Oh, sorry. It's easier sorry. if you have a child. <laughs> To I do this experiment with. <laughs> right. Okay, I'll put it back. So, right, okay. Yeah, that's Without made all the difference. Touching. Without touching the piece of paper. Right. Right, okay. Okay. So um, there's a challenge. And the answer is, of course, you just move the glass in front of it. So if you come down and shoot at the right angle, here we go. Top right, bottom okay. left. And then we just bring this glass of water in front. And then hopefully. <gasps> oh, look you know, at that! Top left, bottom right. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, the wonders of science again. Refraction, of course, no magic really. It's a refraction that light bends when it passes through different mediums, through the glass and through the uh, water, and it goes through a fo focal point and then cabal carries on in sort of straight lines for the crossover and the arrows go to the other side. Is that why when you have a spoon and you look at it, it on the back, goes, it goes the other way round. Yeah. Or if you stick a, a stick or whatever into the water, it seems to sort of bend and come out at a different angle. And why, if you're yes, if you're sort of spear gunning, you, you know, not that I've ever spear gunned a fish, but you have to aim way in front because of the different angle. But there we go. It's it's the wonders of refraction. Um, Marvelous. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Another wonderful little trick you can do at home. Amaze your friends, but find a child or a five-year-old because otherwise they're just going to pick the piece of paper up and turn it over. Genuinely, I missed the instruction. I didn't hear you. Why am I just cackling in the background? You're always there? cackling in the background. What is that? that sort of thing. I wonder why. I wonder I why. I don't know. I wonder. There's another. There's another ponder for you. And of course, you can see just what we're talking about there. These sort of things work better on video than on radio quite often. Uh, and hopefully it'll come across nicely on uh, the uh, Max Radio site just to go along and uh, enjoy the video, see what you make of it and let us know. And if you've got any ideas or little quizzes or little things that you used to do as a child along those lines, or perhaps you still do them now, who knows? Let us know and if we can recreate them, uh, we will do. You've got some ideas as well on that front, I think. One one I'm still not quite certain how this is going to work, but well, go on. This is something that has come to me. We've got our, our new late lunch programme and every Wednesday yeah, we are joined well by um, Mike Cooley from My Free Mind. He's just wonderful. So he's introducing mm. us to the world of mindfulness. And we know that it's very important for us all to take some time out and to be mindful, to meditate, to, to just find that space in your daily life. And so I thought I could challenge myself to be mindful, do a mindful meditation every single day for the duration of this series and see if it makes any difference. Right. 
And how are we going to know <laughs> if it's made any difference? Is it going to stop you cackling? Are you going to become a nicer person, a quieter person? Uh, well, I don't uh, know. We'll, we'll see. We will balanced? see. And just to you, how do we how do we measure Beth balance? Well, uh, ba- basically, I suppose I'm going to tell you how I feel. So. Um, <laughs> It's yeah, yeah, I don't know. Mike I've been talking to Mike about this and he mm-hmm. has promised that I will see benefits. Whether anybody else will, I don't know. Um but he has directed me to his website, which is My Free Mind. You can find all the links on the Manx Radio Facebook page because he does a, a weekly podcast for us as well. So I'm gonna be using those. I'm gonna be using his own um material that's on his website. I'm gonna dedicate ten minutes. He says I just need ten minutes a day and all will become amazingly clear. I don't know. Neither do I. Beth, you have a mind like a butterfly. And by an amazing coincidence, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about next. Uh, Butterflies, it's that time of year, isn't it, when people are getting back out into the garden, the weather's warming up, we've had a lovely Easter. Of course, it's going back to winter now that I've said this, isn't it? Uh, But the butterflies are out and about, and surely one of those great sort of harbingers of spring and summer and uh, just so much beauty people think of anything that's delicate and colorful and lovely and light and you think of butterflies and we have a goodly number on the isle of man uh, although their habitats and their numbers have been up and down somewhat and quite recently and this is what sparked it there was something in the bbc saying that some numbers in the uk are severely down we don't have all the species that you'll find in the uk here on the isle of man but we do have quite a good number and a man who knows more than most he says i can't call him an expert although <laughs> frankly if there's anyone who knows a great deal more i've yet to meet he, him or her and this is uh, mr gary curtis we have 20 species uh, resident on the isle of man and that compares in the uk to the UK is between 58 and 60. Okay, so just a tad under half of the species you might find throughout the UK. Yep. And have those figures varied at all over the years that you've been looking at butterflies on the Isle? Um, on the Isle of Man, ours have, we've actually increased our number of species. So they've gone up by three species in the last 20 years or so. Um, so we've got more species, but we've got less butterflies. Yeah. So give us some of the highs and lows then. So what's actually doing relatively well on the island species-wise currently? Um, relatively well. Uh, last year in particular was holly blue. And we had lots of reports from uh, island-wide. And so that's had a, a very good year last year. And I always remember your top tip for a holly blue is look up, not down. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the common blues. Usually. I'd never seen any until you gave me that tip. Then I started seeing them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And around holly bushes in the spring as well as the, as the name indicates. Um, so they, they've had uh, good years, I and mean, some species haven't had such a good time as well. So small tortoiseshell in particular, a, a once really common species, has decreased in numbers. And is that, do we think that, is that climate change? Is that habitat loss? Is that... I think there's a combination of these things. Um, small tortoiseshell, it's a little bit unexplainable in some ways, um, but it is a butterfly that hibernates a lot in human um, houses and sheds, human accommodation, if you like, and we we attract it into our gardens, and it appears to be hibernating in houses more and more as a result of that. But the trouble is, we then switch our central heating on in December and January, and wake the butterfly up, and it either perishes in the house or it escapes through the window out into the, the cold winter's air. And I suppose again, some people who might be you know very house proud and fastidious, who might see things in the corner or people, that it's the sort of thing they might not give a second thought to and just sort of sweep out of the way as it were. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that can that can happen. But we have we've had quite a few reports over the winter of people have actually noticed them in the corner corners of uh, their houses and actually left them alone and and then counted them out as well when they've when they've woken up. 
And do you think numbers on the island have fluctuated widely in the, in the years you've been looking at them? From year to year, as it were? Um, I wouldn't use the word fluctuated. I'd say decreased for most species. Um, fairly steady. Decrease. So it is a steady decline? Uh, it it is a steady decline. Um, a few are holding on quite well. They tend to be the ones that are coastal, where we can't get at them to, to damage their habitat. So species with grayling and dark green fritillary. And also species of woodland, um, which you mentioned the holly blue, uh, there's a speckled wood, the, the comma as well. They all seem to be doing okay. Butterflies of the open countryside and the hedgerows, they're not faring so well. Okay, yes, yeah, so there, there is a split there really. And, and yet we seem, you'd have thought woodland was actually being reduced sort of year on year, it seems, or, or is that not the case, do you think? Um, I think Manx woodland is maturing a little bit, and I think that's certainly helping species like the holly blue. And we are actually reversing what we did several hundred years ago in cutting everything down in, in actually planting more nowadays. So Manx woodland is, is on the slowly on the increase. And do you think, again, you've been watching for a long time and you, know, you, you do quite a bit yourself out of your own interest of looking at species, bringing some in. You brought in some pupa today. Amazing, really, because, again, unless you actually knew you got some orange tip pupa, that you wouldn't know. You just look at those. They're so well disguised and also remarkably robust. And yet, to the untrained eye, you wouldn't have a clue, would you? No. 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 And I, I wouldn't be able to find those in the wild either. Yeah, it's very tricky. So is, is there much, you think, obviously, if people are interested, they will you know, follow their own passion. But just for the average sort of man and woman in the street with a garden or something, is there much people can do to, to help some of these species if, if they've got a patch of land at the back, if they've got a garden or a little bit of space? You can to a limited degree in gardening, but, but gardening for butterflies uh, and, and a lot of wildlife in general isn't, isn't the overall answer. We have yeah. to look more to the wider countryside. We have to make sure they've got sufficient habitat. Um, gardens contribute a little bit, but the realistic situation is that unless you can provide lots of long grass and lots of what people would term weeds, which I call wildflowers, <laughs> um, then there's a limited amount that we can provide in gardens. And valuable creatures to have around, do you think? I, I think I don't really know many, many people who don't like seeing a, a butterfly. I mean, they're always called for beautiful things to see and, and such sort of fleeting presences as well quite often. Do you think the world would be a poorer place if, if, if the numbers did drastically decline? Um, it would be a poorer place, but butterflies are perhaps more of an indicator species than mm. so many other species. And the big worry really is that if butterflies are in decline, then there are thousands of species of insect that are likely to be in decline also. So as, as an indicator species, they're telling us that we've got problems in the countryside. So I was going to say you were saying decline. That's so, so and, and worry. So the fact that generally the figures are going down for the species is, is something a larger concern than just the butterflies themselves. Um, for me, the important thing with butterflies is not so much the numbers, but the range of them. In other words, where, where you find them across the island. So if we're now getting parts of the island where we're struggling to find butterflies, that would concern me more than a decrease in numbers in other places. It, it's more about where we can find them. And if those places are decreasing all the time, that means they're being confined to smaller and smaller areas. And that has its risks as well looking forward. Mm, the wonderful Gary Curtis, uh, who, uh, like I said, knows an awful lot about butterflies. And uh, yes, I've been out with him several times in the years past and Man of the Wild and such like and wonderful. His top tip, the one I always remember was that there's one species, should appeal to you actually, called the holly, holly, holly blue. And uh, I thought, what a lovely little pretty thing. And I kept looking out for it around holly bushes, never saw one. And I went out with Gary one time and he said, 
you're looking the wrong way. You're looking down. You want to look up. As soon as you looked up, because they all fly at about sort of eight, nine, ten feet, so that are above your head, not in front of you or down at your feet. As soon as I started looking up at Harley Bush, I started seeing them. Oh, how lovely! We were out in Glen Helen um, over the bank holiday weekend. We saw some gorgeous cream-coloured ones with bright orange on their wings. They were lovely. I think they are orange tip. Yeah, as I understand it. My butterfly, it should be quite good because there's only a limited number, unlike moths, where there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of moths. Just on the Isle of Man, there must be probably several thousand species if you do micromoths or whatever. Unless you're an absolute dedicatee, I haven't got a hope in hell, I don't think, of getting around all of them. But butterflies, though, like I said, there's only a limited, a relatively limited number, so you should be able to identify them all, although uh, I can't. Interesting um, <laughs> listening to Gary talking about flowers there, because I found a packet of seeds. Oh. I don't know how long I've had it, but it was called Butterfly Mix. I don't think you grow butterflies. I think it is flowers, it is, yeah. which will attract butterflies. So we've planted them. I will keep you updated on their progress, Please but do. nothing so far. Uh, it doesn't say the date on the packet. No. Well, never mind. You never know. You never, never know what's going to come up. Right, where are we off to next? We're going, uh, I think we're going for the second part of our little uh, rummage round the flour mills down at Maxi, uh, which we were hearing earlier on. This wonderful new packing machine they've got down there. If you've driven past the building, it's a wonderful sight. And yet we heard a little bit more from Jason. And how long have you been here then? You've been here? Uh, 14 years I've been here. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So you're really used to And I've been management side for just over a year. And how many people work down here? On the mill, the actual for- workforce in, in the actual mill is only five people. And then we've got the two ladies in the office. Yeah, wow. And do you actually, do, do tours actually come round? Because I was saying, I've never, this is literally in my, in my life, this is the first time I've ever been into this building. Um, <clears throat> can people actually come and see it? Or is it something, uh, realistically, because of the nature of the job, that you don't yeah. encourage visitors? We have, we did used to do tours, but then, as you know, health and safety is kind of it, OTT. Um, so... We, as of currently don't do any more tours, but we have been looking into maybe looking into that side of things, talking to Manx National Heritage and becoming a heritage site, but there's a long way to go on that, yet. Because people are fascinated now with the provenance of their food, aren't they? And yeah. they really have got that sense of wanting to know where it actually comes yeah, yeah. from. Yeah, yeah. I've, well, I think with, with the, the mill only being an old, an old mill, a lot of the mills in the UK now are designed with that sort of aspect in mind, whereas because the, the age of the building, that wasn't factored in back in the day when it was built. Indeed. How did you get it in the first place? You were saying you were a baker. Did you come from a, a baking background? or? Uh, no, I just I, I left from school. But my, I learned after that my granddad was actually a baker as well, which I didn't know until I was well into it. Ah, so whether it's just coming in the genes, I'm not too sure. <laughs> well, you never know. It's fascinating, isn't it? It is, isn't it? It's, it's an incredible place. And like I said, I, I can't say to you, pop on down and see it, because you can't just, I'm afraid, wander in willy-nilly. However, if you are driving through Laxey at any stage and you see the big hopper on the side and you look down and you see the mills there and think about it, hopefully now you might have a little bit more of an idea of actually what goes on here. Um, Jason, I can't help noticing that we're wearing these little blue hats and you don't seem to have one on. Is there any reason for that? Uh, no, not really. I've just took it off to talk to you because the flower obstruction is not finished. Oh, right, okay. Just checking that <laughs> this just, wasn't you, like a setup you, or anything. You just obviously <laughs> like yours more than I do. <laughs> and we want to see what Beth looks like in her blue hat. Then uh, just go online. Then you won't because I can destroy the photograph. Manx Umba Lumba. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to have a quick look, walk around the mill as well? That would be oh, amazing. Be great. That's okay. Just yes. take some more shots. Yeah, too right. Perfect. Great, thank you. Yes. 
And there'll be more on that next week because we did indeed, uh, very kindly from Jason, having gone there for what we actually were going to do, take a look at their new flower production and such like and how it's all done, we then had a tour of the whole building. It was absolutely fascinating, as I keep on saying. A little bit more cackling, I'm sure, to come uh, when we hear from Jason Duke, mill manager at Laxey Flower Mill. Thank you so much to them uh, for letting us come round. If you have an old building or something historic that you'd like us to see and uh, come and do a piece with Tammy Guinness, we'd love you to get in touch with us. Uh, you can email Howard Kane at manxradio.com or Beth Espy at manxradio.com. And uh, yeah, how to be round with his microphone. <laughs> Thank you very much, yes. Or Beth, if you're lucky. And her orange tips. Um, now then, one thing we've also been keeping, which has been great fun, is we have an archive here at Manx Radio. It's where the stuff over the years has been placed, going back to way back when, bearing in mind it's 50-odd years that Manx Radio has been on the air, of course. Not all of it, sadly, kept, but lots of recordings on cassette, on CDs, on reel-to-reel, on wax cylinders, goodness knows what. And we just like going in and just having a random dip. We do. Um, and this is the first thing I saw when I walked in this morning. Honestly. I genuinely, I didn't seek this out, but I thought it might be quite amusing. And I don't think I was wrong. I am completely, hopelessly, madly, passionately, deeply, confusingly, totally, absolutely, fully, wholly, knowingly, desperately in love with you, I think. When you're away, I'm restless, lonely, wretched, bored, dejected. Only here's the rub, my darling dear. I feel the same when you are near. <laughs> I never know what to say when I hear old recordings like that. There are no words. Um, I'm not quite sure. I think I sound more like John Moss now than I sound like the old me. But anyway, there we go. Uh, That was a Valentine's poem from 2007, read in a very high squeaky voice. It was. It's a very strange thing that when you go back and listen to all recordings. I remember doing that when um, the great David Collister, um, some of his early recordings, because David recorded about 30 odd years, 35 years or more with Manx Radio. And uh, we used to work and they used to do mandate and such like, of course. And I'd hear some of his early recordings and the same sort of thing. His voice, 25 years earlier, seemed to be several octaves higher. I don't understand how Mossy sounds the same, though. I don't know what's happening here. And I'm wondering what it's going to sound like, please God, in 10 years. I don't like to think, but uh, <laughs> the, the mind boggles. It's a strange thing, and I think maybe it is. We were talking about that the other day, but there was something I was reading on uh, on air which uh, suggested that your voice actually gets, the other way, gets lower as you get older, which uh, is a strange sort of thing. But, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and th- there's all manner of stuff we have actually found in the archives, uh, but it is a lucky dip, so you never quite know what you're going to get. You really, that really was the first thing you came to. Genuinely, it was lying on the floor. It was like a sign that I had to uh, to bring to you. But anyway, that is all for this week. We will be nat- back next week. Do check out the Max Radio Facebook page for all the photos and videos associated with the programme. See you next time. Take care. <laughs>